You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Knezic. Welcome back to The Buzz, brought to you by the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. I am Fran Chismar. And I'm Tom Knezik, and today we're buzzing into episode 153, and like usual, uh, as the last probably 20-plus buzz episodes have gone, before we get into all the really fun, cool, awesome native plant conversations that we like to have, we like to follow up on some things that have been going on in the Native Plants Healthy Planet world. Yes. And um, and the first one... Brian, you have listed here as follow-up. Well, I was the, hoping the there would be... Fo- anthem. I, I don't know if there's anything to follow up on. Yet. No, it's. I, I think everyone saw the post. They, yeah. they, they heard us talk about it last one. They saw the post in the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group, but no submissions as of yet as far as the Native Plant an- an- Anthem. I would, I would so. assume that creative genius takes time. Um, you need to you I, need to be patient. I agree. I agree. Although it has been two weeks and... Uh, and nothing. Yeah. Um, what what did we say we would give as a gift? A hundred dollars worth. Hundred dollars worth of native plants, plants healthy, healthy planet uh, uh, paraphernalia. Okay, I guess is one way to put it. So even though there's no follow up per se, it gives us the opportunity to just remind everyone that that contest exists. Yeah, so, so. you can find that on our native plants healthy planet Facebook page. Yes. It could be acapella. That would be fantastic. Ooh, that um, would be. But there's a little write up presenting what this is and a, a little. Uh, AI generated image of native plants and an instrument and um, is what I typed in and it I don't know I didn't have a lot of great choices it was one of the free AI yeah. ones that makes images so it wasn't like a I didn't pay for any of it I I will say this whoever submits any submissions will get played so if you're do you want to go that far yeah yeah it's, it's gonna get played we know what the lyrics are we're yes, gonna play as long it. as the as long as it's true to lyrics with uh we'll we'll entertain a little bit of creative freedom yes but um remember this is a kid's show yeah <laughs> so we will play if it we will play them on air so just feel good don't don't submit it and say don't play it because the winner it's going to get used as maybe outro music mm-hmm. yeah. maybe it's going to get used somehow and get incorporated into the mm-hmm. podcast so i just wanted to throw that little disclaimer in there so what else do you have to follow up on yeah so i put in here uh some it's it's good news, bad news. I don't, it's somewhere in between. It's overall it's good news, but it's bad news that we have to talk about it again. Okay, and that is the Restore America's Wildlife Act has been reintroduced. Um, you probably remember me talking about this last year. Yes. <laughs> and yeah, and we got close to the finish line, but never got across the finish line and uh, and got passed and funded. But it's a it's a great bill just for not just wildlife but native plant communities all over the country and. Um, it has really bipartisan support. It's really well supported, and it's well supported through all different kinds of activist groups as well. Like I just got an email uh, the other day. Most of the the buzz I've actually heard about it is from like hunting and fishing organizations. Okay, um, but I got an email from Backcountry Hunters and Anglers the other day uh, saying, "Hey, it got close to the finish line, but it didn't get across." Kind of what I just said. I think I maybe plagiarized <laughs> that language <laughs> in retrospect. Power, you paraphrase. Paraphrase their language. Um, but it's going to dedicate $1.4 billion annually to help state and tribal fish and wildlife agencies proactively manage at-risk species and prevent them from being added to the federal species 
uh, federal list of threatened and endangered species, uh, and is led by Senators Martin Heinrich, who's a Democrat from New Mexico, and then Tom Tillis, who is a Republican from North Carolina, and also has a bunch of other uh, co-sponsors, I believe. And um, it was uh, the congressional bill is uh, is led by uh, Representative Debbie Dingell, who is a Democrat from Minnesota, and um, and also has bipartisan support. So. Okay. Something that you should reach out to your elected officials from your state, no matter whether you're from New Jersey, California, Hawaii, Minnesota, wherever. This is going to have good impacts across the entire country. And uh, with the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers email I got, it actually had a spot where you could take action. It just oh. had a little link that said take action. Okay. Click that. It has you put in your, your home address and zip code. And then it actually has a a, a draft letter, and you put in your... Uh, first name, last name, email, and then uh, your your phone number, and it will actually craft the message for you. Or it has a pre-crafted message, and it will, by hitting send, after you do all that, will send it to your representatives, which for me are Senator Bob Menendez, Senator Cory Booker, and then Representative Andy Kim okay. from New Jersey. Is that is that something we can share as, on the That's show That's something notes? I'll put on. Now, okay. this – why it's probably not applicable to every one of our listeners because you might not agree with the sentiments from the letter, but uh, well, their letter basically says, as your constituent and a supporter of backcountry hunters and anglers, the voice for our wild and public lands of waters and wildlife, I want to express my support for the Recovering America's Wildlife Act, uh, which is S one one four nine one one yeah one one four nine, and then it just kind of goes on for more than a century. Hunters and anglers have been vital source for funding for wildlife and conservation. This legislation would yada, yada, yada. Yeah. So, but it's already pre-written for you. And I'm sure there's, I know there's other outlets for this too. Howl.org is another one specifically for like sportsmen that typically does this and has like a pre-crafted thing, already has the, the addresses for your representatives loaded in when you do that. I'm assuming if you go through like, uh, like organizations like Pines Preservation Alliance, yeah. I know does similar stuff. Yeah. I don't know if they've done it for this. Uh, Audubon societies, I would think native plant societies may do some of this yeah. stuff. So, uh, go, if you don't have that through the organization of your choice to try and do it, reach out yourself. You go to what's it congress.gov or something like that. And mm-hmm. it gives you same thing. You put in your address, tells you who your representatives are really easy to click contact. And nice. an email is great. Sometimes a phone call is even better. And they don't always you're not you're not usually going to talk to your representative, but you'll talk to someone on their staff. And sometimes they're just taking a tally, saying, yeah. "Hey, you know what? You're the fourth person who's called about this today. I've been marking it down, and I'm going to pass that along to the representative yeah. and say, hey, we had 15 people call about this one thing today, and say they want you to support it. They're from your district. They think it's important. So um, I always advocate for getting involved in in politics, even though you'll, you'll hear my opinion on politicians <laughs> in the next episode. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's how our country is run yeah. and you uh, voting is one way to make your voice voice heard, but you can get a little bit louder if you are constantly in your, yes. your elected representatives ear along the way. So. I agree. It works. It works. Yeah. Or sometimes I yeah. should say. That. And there's another, that's just one of many, many bills at the federal level. There's even more at the state level. Um, New Jersey has, like we've talked about before, the Invasive Species Bill, which uh, is sponsored by Senator Bob Smith. Um, and I can't remember the co-sponsor's name at the, the moment, but 
it's something I've helped work on and, um, and got to sit in meetings about that stuff. I know other listeners have done that as well. So, uh, there's all kinds of native plant stuff going on across the country at the state level as well, even at county level sometimes. Pay attention, and then when those things come up, hey, take five minutes or less. Make a phone call, write an email. It may feel insignificant, and, well, is there someone really going to listen to little old me? But they get enough of those. And it, not not even, like, dozens or, or hundreds – Sometimes it's just three or four. It puts it on their radar, and now they're like, "Hey, I should pay more attention to this." It wasn't something I was co-sponsored. Oh, this is something I'm getting some feedback on. It looks pretty good to me. Or sometimes it's it's you want it to go the other way. And like, oh yeah, this is bad. This is not something yeah. that we want to entertain. So uh, if you don't raise your voice about those things that you're passionate about, you can't expect for them to have an opinion either way on it or exactly. get upset with their opinion. So, yeah. all right, cool. You got anything else? Not that I, I got no I other follow up. Yeah, so, me neither. But right. yeah, but we do have some really cool plants that we think are looking good this week. So let's kick into that's hot. That's hot. I think we're both like on the same page with oh yeah, selections we are. a little bit. We are. Why don't you go? Uh, yeah. So mine is a little, a little backstory. Yeah, I I always have like a little backstory <laughs> of why I'm picking this plant. We did a uh, a controlled burn at our farm, which you can see on our, uh, a little bit of on our native plants, healthy planet Instagram page. And as I have my brother and a couple other guys here who worked here, did most of it. I showed up for a little bit and, and basically it was like, Oh, look, oh, this is cool. <laughs> made a video, <laughs> but I'm not, I wasn't really involved with it. So I'm like not dressed appropriately for it. Um, I had some other stuff going on that day that I had looked nice for. So, uh, but in that burn, we're starting to see stuff come back and what's coming mm-hmm. Coming in, there was a lot of invasive species, like uh, a lot of honeysuckles in there, the non-native honeysuckles. Um, a lot of, like, Himalayan blackberry okay. and um, a ton of, uh, now I'm blanking on, multiflora rose. There's Japanese barberry. There's all kinds of stuff. So we did about a third of the total piece of woods just to kind of see how it went. And um, it was it was got a little squirrely at times, but it was overall fun. But now we're starting to see what came, is coming back, and I've walked through. I found wild geranium, which there was oh, some before, nice. but now I'm finding a lot. Um, and then what I was really amazed by is I just came across like a, a I don't want to call it a thicket because it's not really a thicket, but it was a thicket of, of uh, trout lilies. And, oh, that's um, pretty awesome. So it's how do you pronounce this, friend? It's your throwium? Uh, I, w- I would say erythronium. Erythronium, uh, Americanum, which uh, is one of the trout lilies. So trout lily from Jersey Friendly Yards. Trout lily has two tulip-like leaves at the base of the plant and lily-shaped yellow flowers, which bloom in early spring. The flowers bloom during the spring trout fishing seasons, hence the common name, uh, which it is trout fishing season here in New Jersey. Uh, the plants will go into dormancy by late spring. Trout lily for- prefers moist, acidic, organic soils. Use it in shady garden areas, woodland gardens, rock gardens, and along ponds or other water features. This is a fairly moist soil area. Okay. Um, I imagine it's probably considered a wetland, but it's not. Like, it's when you walk across it, it's not like, oh, I'm getting yeah. wet. It's But you dig down just a little bit, and the, yeah. the soil is very moist. Um, but, yeah, it's a carpet of, of really? trout hood oh, in I would this love one to see spot. That. All and right. there was all, they were always there, but I never noticed um, them being this thick as they are in this one very one cool. place. And um, one of the other things I'll throw out there about trout lily is the leaves. Well, a lot of the parts are edible, but I know the leaves in particular are edible. 
and uh, and they kind of taste a little like spinach. Okay, when you eat them. So um, maybe I don't, I don't know if there's any warnings on don't eat more than like six leaves or anything yeah. like that. But do your own research. But you can eat a, a couple different components of it. I read something else on it is uh, is edible and it tastes like cucumber. Is what I read, but okay. I don't remember what snippet it was. So, well, I, you'll have to share with me the location because I would like. Yeah, to, yeah. Well, maybe like we'll go out after this okay. and, and check right, it out. Cool. So I have, you know, it, it's funny because I actually use Jersey Friendly Yards as well for my description. But my plant this week is Virginia Bluebells or Virginia Cowslip, which is Mertensia virginica. And we were just talking about this plant with uh, former guest Daryl from uh, and Carrie from Sunset mm-hmm. Farmstead. So. Um, and it made me think of last spring when I visited Bowman's Hill and saw it with the celandine. It was it was pretty amazing. So uh, Virginia bluebells provide early spring delight as clusters of pink buds emerge. Blooming as blue-purple, trumpet-shaped flowers march through April. By midsummer, the foliage dies back as the plant goes dormant. Use it in shade garden, woodland borders, or as a spring ground cover. Overplant with ferns or perennials that will fill in the empty space once the plants recede. Related species uh, is Mertensia meridima, which is sea lungwort, which tolerates salt and can be used in coastal landscapes. Uh, I mentioned if you want to see them in mass and you're local to this New Jersey PA area, uh, go to Bowman's Hill Wildflower Preserve. Now is the time. Uh, The blue to purple blooms uh, in March and April, likes loam, sandy, organic soil, is slightly acidic to slightly alkaline, attracts bees, butterflies, hummingbirds, and other pollinators. Likes it moist with a low drought tolerance and grows one to two foot tall by one to two foot wide. So it's it's a I, – I don't think it's really native to this area. Have you ever seen it in the wild um, here? I, I haven't. I think it's more um, – you know, I know it's not far – it's native not far from here. Obviously, Bowman's Hill is about a 40-minute drive from us, but I don't think I've ever seen it in the wild. I'm, I'm looking at uh – other um, than that, yeah. What is it? Bone app right now. Okay. It's my favorite resource for looking this kind of stuff up. Mine as well. And it appears to be rare in Burlington County, but you get right across the river in Pennsylvania, and um, and it seems like it's fairly common all along the Delaware River, including fur- further west. West to, uh, let's see here, Missouri, Minnesota, Iowa, eastern Iowa. It looks like... That um, uh, the hottest region for this plant is uh, southern Minnesota, eastern Iowa, southern Wisconsin, all of Illinois, eastern Missouri, uh, and then a little bit in Indiana. While it is native yeah. across Ohio as well, yeah. so yeah, very cool. cool. Here's, here's and, and Virginia, of course. Here's here's how busy we've been. Did I play the That's Hot music? I I don't remember. I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know I gave you the lead in, and I think you played something. I think I played it. I don't know if I uh, did. Uh, That's how busy. <laughs> Happy well, spring. Yeah, what are we going to do? It's, <laughs> it's a it's a low-budget production. There you go. Oh, yeah. All right. So two great choices. Now is the time that you would enjoy both of those plants. Uh if you're in the right area and, and you have access to these plants, it may be something you want to add to your, your home garden if you have a perfect spot for it. So make sure you check those out. And uh, what do you think? You want to you wanna do a little this or that? Uh, suppose we have to. All right. 
All right, so we do have a winner. Last week I had an article about animal crossings in the Pacific Northwest. Tom had an article on climate change and plant interactions, and we have a winner. Me, 15 to 13. It was a tie oh, up. Oh, wow. yeah. I yeah. was up one last I checked. You were up, and then it was a tie at I'm the end of the so day. I'm so used yesterday. to winning that I assume <laughs> I did You're again. Shocked. Yeah. You know, the funny – I'm so used to losing. Like it was tied yesterday, and then this morning I went up, and I double-checked before we came in because I'm like, ah, I'm sure Tom's in the lead by now. But no, I managed to squeak that one out. Uh, so – it's it's so interesting how we're both on the same page this one. Both of our articles are relatively short, uh, and we're reading the entire articles. I'm going to choose to go first this week. Yeah, it's um, for, yeah, Fran Fran is help, rewarding everyone for voting with, short, for him after, with an incredibly <laughs> short article after that book last time. Yeah, and I um, actually won with the book uh, last week. So yeah, you're. I'm reward- trying to figure out while you're doing that. I'm trying to figure out uh, by by word count. Whose article is shorter? Because they are both very short. <laughs> They're both short. And and this, to me, is a follow-up. I had previously done an article how they were saying that in Hawaii, invasives outnumber natives and how it was taking toll on native uh, birds and, and, and mm-hmm. wildlife. Uh, so this is a release from the governor, Josh Green, of Hawaii, um, and it was on uh, his webpage, Newsroom. And it is titled, From Honolulu, Governor Josh Green, MD, has proclaimed April as Native Hawaiian Plant Month, recognizing the diversity and biocultural value of roughly 1,400 native plant species. Uh, Native Hawaiian Plant Month also provides an opportunity to celebrate the successes made by rare plant botanists who manage more than 420 endangered plant species statewide. The Plant Extinction Prevention Program, PEPP, collaboration of the DLNR, Division of Forestry and Wildlife, University of Hawaii, and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service recently released an annual report detailing a series of rediscoveries and rebounds in rare plant populations across the archipelago. Several plant species previously thought extinct were rediscovered through field surveys last year. Uh, Repelling botanists found a small shrub, Silene lanceolata, in Wamea Canyon on Kauai, on Maui, a sedge known as Cyperus prescotianus uh, – prescotianus, I actually bit my tongue trying to say that – had not been seen for more than 100 years but was rediscovered along a stream bank. Other species that have been present in low numbers saw their populations rebound over the past year with staff either transplanting seedlings or finding new individuals that germinated on their own. Rebounding species included three extremely rare cyania species found respectively on Kauai – Molokai and Hawaii Island, the coastal shrub Napaka Papa on Molokai and Uiai – I don't even know how to say that one – on Lanai. These plants are part of what makes Hawaii a special place, said Matt Keir, rare plant program coordinator for DLNR. For Hawaii to thrive, its native plant species have to thrive. We're thrilled that our team saw successes over the past year and that we as a community can celebrate these species for Native Hawaiian Plant Month. The PEPP report also highlighted growing threats to native plants across Hawaii, including wildlife and the expanding population of coconut rhinoceros beetle on Oahu. Work is now underway to collect seeds from five native species of Lowulu in order to safeguard the species from potential impacts by the invasive beetle. Plant enthusiasts can celebrate Native Hawaiian Plant Month by attending Earth Day events, including visiting a PEPP booth, 
at the upcoming Bishop Museum Science and Sustainability Festival on April 22nd. So it was just nice to hear – a lot of the times our articles are always highlighting issues or problems or uh, ongoing it, it, you know, how invasives are taking over. We're constantly talking about invasives, and we've talked about them on Hawaii. It was just nice to get a positive article about rebounding plant species, and part of that is just bringing awareness to it and making changes, and it's just nice to see that that is happening. Not all is always lost. There's there's always a chance for a rebound. So, yeah, what, no, what that's you, that's awesome. And uh, I was just looking up uh, how many states have a, a native plant month. I think New Jersey does. Um, I don't know. Clearly, Hawaii does. Yeah. Um, I wish there was a definitive list of of who did. I know nationally, um, April, this month, is, is native plant month. Uh, but I don't know if that's actually official. Yeah. Yeah. April 2021 was the first mm-hmm. national native plant month. And uh, 2023 should be approved soon. And this was from. We celebrate native plants every yeah, month. It's one of those things. I, like Earth Day is every day here at Pylons Nursery, and <laughs> I always forget what day it is until we get a ton of calls from the garden clubs. And, <laughs> and, but uh, but yeah, uh, so yeah, on Monday, March twenty fifth, Senators Hirono and Braun introduce a Senate resolution designating April twenty twenty three twenty three as National Native Plant Month. Um, now that has introduced, we're waiting for final approval from. The Senate. All right. And the logo is a burr oak, which is, what's the, the botanical name on that one, Fran? little pop quiz. Quercus macrocarpa. Uh, yeah, you're right. All right. You're right. So, Woohoo. I knew yeah. something. Um, I'm assuming that this, this has since been passed, but yeah, I don't know. I hope so. That shows I- you how close <laughs> I'm following um, the... Well, what, federal legislation. What short article do you have? This My week? short article is uh, even shorter than Fran's, and this is every word from it. There were a lot of pictures in okay. this article, All right. as evidenced by the title of it, which said "Photos." <laughs> See the wildflower super bloom happening across California. Something I heard that was they were anticipating was going to happen, but now that we're in that time where well, you start to have some some things blooming in California, it's, it's seeing it unseasonably wet. Correct. That's exactly right. Did you right. read the article? No, I didn't look at no, it yet. That's... I was going to say, I think there, you know, what made me think of it is my wife is in, in Los Angeles mm-hmm. right now for the week. Yeah. And she's going to. She should go. I she, can send her a list yeah, from this go. article of the places to, to view these. But flowers. she's going there for 63 degree weather mm-hmm. and overcast. And we're in the 80s here yeah. in New Jersey yeah. right now. So it's, and sunny. So. so anyway, this one was published on NPR, although you can find similar articles all over the place. And uh, I'll read my little bit, L- like literally little bit. All right. Uh, I'm assuming it's less than like 200 words. <laughs> um, and then we'll we'll discuss a little bit after that. So wildflowers aren't just in bloom across California. The Golden State is experiencing a rare super bloom that's blanketing the ground with a variety of richly colored plants. The lush growth comes after a particularly wet past few months in California where a string of atmospheric rivers and snowstorms have dumped loads of precipitation on the state. Super blooms occur in a wet year that's come after several drier years because wildflower seeds are waiting around the ground for the right conditions to bloom. UC Davis plant science professor uh, Jennifer Funk said in a news release, a very wet year like the year we are having now could trigger germination of all these seeds at once, leading to a super bloom, Funk added. The California Department of Parks and Recreation expects this year's wildflower blooms to range from good to better than average. 
which does not sound like a super bloom to me. Um, <laughs> well, they've been so dry for, yeah. for so many years. I yeah. wonder if it's, that has to affect, yeah. you know. So typically the picturesque visca, vistas draw droves of tourists from nearby and far away, but some places are unaccustomed to swarms of selfie-seeking sightseers. Ooh, how's that for alliteration? Such as the city of Lake Elsinore, which is has struggled to accommodate the hundreds of thousands of tourists angling to view its bright orange poppy fields. The State Parks Agency recommends a number of sites in Southern California and the Bay Area where nature lovers can go to glimpse the poppies, sand verbena, sunflowers, lilies, and more. Officials say those who venture into Superbloom territory should check the forecast before they go, know their body's limits, and respect the natural landscapes. Uh, California also saw Superblooms in 2017 and 2019. So, And the pictures of all this are really stunning. Uh, when I was looking, I'm like, this can't be in the wild. This has to be cultivated in some way because it literally looks like just fields of of uh poppies um in some of the pictures of bright orange wow so it's really stunning some of the the uh, pictures that are out there so i do recommend looking at the pictures the one thing that i wanted to really point out and i hate to be a negative nancy about this kind of stuff um is when you're going to see this stuff and what whether it's seeing virginia bluebells at bowman's hill or or any kind of wildflower or, or native plant viewing, you have to know um, nature's boundaries in a sense. Yeah. Uh, this is a really opportunity to connect with nature on one sense, but at the same time, you have people that continue to push the limit, and all of a sudden they're trampling over where poppies are growing and because they want to stand, get that picture in that the middle ideal. of the poppy field, and, and now they're walking over there. And, yeah, a couple people doing that. Probably not a big deal when you have hundreds or thousands of people doing that. All of a sudden, you don't have those flowers growing in there anymore because of soil compaction and and breaking and all this kind of stuff. Um, so it's just really important to keep that in mind when you're doing this stuff. I definitely encourage you to go and and interact with nature any way you can. Yeah. You just got to be cognizant that every step you take is is has an effect, a butterfly effect, so to speak, uh, across the landscape. So that's why. Trails are really important. When there's a trail, stay on the trail. Like, don't don't venture off the trail. <laughs> there's there a reason a they're reason, there for yeah. it's to congregate everyone's steps, and we're sacrificing that little bit of habitat so that the rest of it can and, can thrive. And I've noticed through social media, a lot of organizations right now are really trying to protect environmentally sensitive areas, and they're mm-hmm. putting up signs. So please respect those signs. I've seen yeah. people ignoring those all the time we have them in a few of our local parks uh, that we visit but just make sure it's there for a reason whether it be wildlife or rare plant species or or something that's just in a sensitive state at that time Mm -hmm. just just heed yeah and the only reason i say that it it says in the article too to respect the natural landscapes is um some of the pictures you have people who are clearly off trail and then you have others where people are really paying attention to the trails and and staying in the right places and viewing from where they're supposed to view. It's uh, there's the great uh, preservationist conservationist debate on, on how we should manage these landscapes. And then you have the crazy restorationists like Fran and I, Oh, we should make more of this. And uh, we're kind of the wackos of that world. But um, you have the preservationists who are like, Hey, these things need to be preserved and kept as wild as possible. And we shouldn't have no human interaction there. What, in my mind, tends to happen in those things is you lose people who no longer see the value of why we're preserving those spaces. Once you have um, generations go by, 
they're like the the people who preserve those spaces are no longer there to preach their importance and you, you have people questioning well why aren't we utilizing these for for natural resources of some sort whether it's logging or oil or, or those kind of things and then you have the conservation standpoint. It's like, hey, let's utilize these but protect them. So, hey, let's go see these poppy fields yeah. or let's go see Yellowstone, but make sure we're, we're respecting its boundaries. Um, and then you have people who are just constantly pushing the boundaries. So you may preserving be preserving 100 acres, but each person is just going another six inches than the last. And all of a sudden that roadway or the trail that used to be just a footpath is now – a highway <laughs> and and um you're just constantly losing that little bit more because everyone has to go that extra step further than the last person there i bring up a story uh, i've brought up before on a trip my wife and i took to iceland well, we we ignored the signs too there's all these signs saying hey if you aren't going on a glacier hiking tour you need to stop here yeah. and then we're like a mile from the glacier Man, there's thousands of people ahead of us so we just kept going yeah. And then get to another sign, same thing, same sign, just keep going. There's still way people, and now you're at the edge of the glacier, and there's signs saying, if you aren't a glacier hiking tour, you need to stop here for ecological yeah. reasons, basically. And that's where we stopped. Yeah. But there was plenty of people who didn't. And even though they didn't have the crampons and the right headgear and all that, they were still climbing up on the glacier, and their footprints were melting the ice just that little bit extra than if it was just sitting out in the, the air. And... um but they just needed to go that, like, every, each person had to go a little bit further than the last one. And you could see it there with yeah. the, the couple hundred people or so that are around this glacier. You had, like, just someone had to go one step further than the person who was already at that furthest yeah. point. And just, and they just kept getting higher and higher right. and higher. And it's it's just, well, it's natural. Listen, I'm guilty. And yeah. and you've been to, to um Saratoga spot oh, yeah. park. Yeah, to see this the is the same thing. You know, and <laughs> the first the too. first year we went, you know, people were taking pictures from the the uh, trail across from it, mm-hmm. and we went the back way. There were no signs. Like we just yeah. assumed it was like we were up on the geyser, like taking photos, things yeah. like that. And then the second time we visited, there were all those areas were mm-hmm. were roped yep. off, saying you you know don't proceed beyond this point. And we're probably part of the reason for that. You mm-hmm. know, we pushed it too far. And uh, there was no reason for us to get that close. Like you can observe its beauty without, without doing that. Yeah, so. yeah. So get outside and enjoy all of nature's beauty, however you choose to interact with it. Just know that there are limits there, and that as far as you go, the next person is going to take it that one step farther because they want to feel. Uh, there is something about nature. Like I went, I went on this wonderful hike, and I knew it was a commonly used hiking trail. Um, but we were the only people that we saw on it. And then you get to the end and you see there was a campfire there from like two nights before. And well, we're not the first people to be there, even though it feels yeah. um, completely uninterrupted. And like, well, it, it, in a sense, it's like, oh, this has already been been spoiled in some way because someone else has seen it before I did. It, that's just a, a human reaction, I think, yeah. to some of this stuff. When you're driving down the highway... There's so many people who just need to go a little bit. There's that car in front of you. I just need to go a little bit faster than they are. <laughs> I feel that all the time, and it's like, well, I'm not, I'm not doing the right thing unless I'm passing people, um, or getting in front of that one person when we're we're doing our zipper to to merge, and um, yeah. So it's just you got to keep be cognizant of that. It, everyone forgets. Everyone slips up. Yeah. But 
Oh well, none of us so, are perfect. No, no. But yeah. but two fantastic yeah. articles. We will post this on Monday on the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group, and mm-hmm. make sure you vote because. And of course, the choice is yours. And make sure you look at pictures too. Yes. Then, uh, yeah, definitely. Ben Fran doesn't stand a chance. <laughs> <laughs> Although pictures of Hawaii are nice too, you keep bringing up all these, these no Hawaii pictures. articles. Like you're trying to pander to somebody that maybe they'll send you tickets to go. But oh, is that an option? Yeah. I hadn't even thought about that. Maybe yeah. They're at the um, we can re- Natives, we can do a live recording yeah, from at the Hawaii? National Native Seed Conference. I met somebody who worked in uh, in Hawaii. Okay, and um, and they were saying, oh yeah, you should definitely come down and. And check it out. So we'd be happy. We can let you know where to send the the free plane tickets and and hotel reservations, and we'd be happy to. Yeah, we'd be happy to go. Um, we do have. I was gonna say, Fran, how many minutes in are we? I feel like we're, we're going really fast. We're a half an hour in. Okay, we're a half. An That's hour what in. I figured. So I, I figure right. we're going to be about an hour. Yeah, today. perfect. So let's do. We have listener shout outs. Listener, listener, shout out, shout out. What do you have? I see we got a couple more five-star reviews. Yeah, we did. Uh, we had one from Garden Evolution who loved the podcast, uh, especially because we don't judge for uh, the use of cultivars, which uh, they must have not listened to some of the early episodes. <laughs> but, no, we've come a long way when we it really comes have. to our, our mentality on cultivars where, um, yeah, I think for from a home garden perspective, I see a use for them for sure. Uh, I, I, I ordered some. The other day, I so I I agree that it's a gateway drug, and if yeah. that's if that's the compromise, if it's not an invasive or it's not a non-native, mm-hmm. I'll take it. Yeah, I, I even go beyond that and say, for, if it's for a home garden, you want there to be garden success. Yes, and now you have something that I don't want to say is assured of garden success, but it's been typically it's been thoroughly tested for its its um, consistency is the word I'll use. Where you, it's a known product. When you put it in your garden, you kind of have a, a real, a realistic expect. A, a, that's a really tough twist for me. A realistic expectation on what to expect when it comes up, and um, and it's going to be approximately the height you're expecting and the color you're expecting, and it's a known quantity. Yeah. And when you're getting something from from a species, or when you get a species plant, they're they're selected for their. Well, they're not selected in a way that promotes genetic diversity. So yeah, there's going to be some differences in height, and there's going to be some differences in color. And if you're only having one or, or three, maybe you don't have the the room to play or, or, or not meet your expectations as much, yeah. especially if you're a new gardener, which and, the gateway drug and, comes in. And, and I realize that some of those choices are being made for you because you may go to a garden center and your mm-hmm. only option yeah. is a cultivar or a species and not a straight species. So I I appreciate the thought that goes behind of sometimes choosing those selections mm-hmm. uh, or cultivars to add them to your garden. It's we, we really have I, I think we've done a full one eighty with our yeah. with yeah. our opinion on cultivars. So mm-hmm. and what else do you have? And then we had uh, MW three C Who's from Memphis, Tennessee? Well, that's where Graceland is, right? Yes. I wonder if they're an Elvis fan. Hmm. Oh, I would like to. Are you an Elvis fan? Um, I I, I wasn't a fan of those those wiggling hips. I don't even know how to make that sound like I, more like a forties dad. 
I uh, I have a great appreciation for Elvis. Yeah, I had a, a yeah. friend growing up whose father was a huge Elvis fan, mm-hmm. who we used to tease all the time. But yeah. no, I I do like. It's one of those. Like um, he's one of those artists where I think the the breadth of his catalog is where I'm most impressed. There isn't like a single song where I feel the same way about the Beatles. And I know there's a lot of people who are are like huge Beatles, like I don't even know what to call them, like above and beyond Beatles lovers. Um, There isn't like a Beatles song that I'm like, man, this is like one of my favorite songs. Same thing with Elvis, but the breadth of their catalog, I'm like, man, they span so many, the Beatles in particular, span so many genres. Elvis less so, but still, there's so many different sounds that he had. Elvis reinvented himself in the 70s, late 60s, early 70s during the comeback. But that's, you look at that and it's two decades worth of music. Mm -hmm. What impresses me about the Beatles, it's eight years. Oh, yeah. Eight years to to put out Mm -hmm. groundbreaking music and just keep pushing it to a whole nother level i i don't you know that's when you look at the music in the short amount of time and what they've accomplished i don't know oh yeah yeah it's uh oh anyway I yeah for, i was gonna say yeah mw3c is from memphis tennessee <laughs> which is the home of elvis and graceland and um but it's they liked how a lot of what we talked about was applicable even and helped them garden at home even though it's not necessarily the same plant palette so Wonderful. Which is, uh, yeah, what we were hoping for. As we learned when we first started, man, there's a lot. People from all over were listening to this. It wasn't just folks from our neck of the woods, yeah. so we want to make sure we we added to that. Exactly, so. exactly. I have this week a former guest of ours. And I'm glad is, you're bringing this person up. Yeah. Because I had something to say about them too. All right, fantastic. So uh, Rosalind Doremus, uh, who we lovingly call Roz, who – was on our first Meet Our Listeners episode. Um, and she's been a good friend for a long time and, and was it formerly in the business. Just opened up or is opening up her own garden center with a focus on natives. It's not all natives, uh, but she is pushing the limits of what had been carried there before. She's doing native trees, straight species trees, and... Um, and I wanted to just give her a plug and say thank you. Uh, the name of her garden center is called My Backyard at Nectars, and it's located in Titusville, New Jersey, which I believe is in that Washington Crossing area of New Jersey. Am I correct? Do you know? Um, yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Okay. So if you're you're in that part of New Jersey, and even if you're not, give it a shot. She's uh, I, I know who she has been or what she's been adding to the garden center, and it's it's going to be a nice list. So it's we don't have too many of these that that specialize in native plants. Like it's not strictly native plants, but just to have someone that's that's understanding and focusing on that, hopefully her business thrives and grows and, and Yeah, and it. I know um she has some customers there right now. Really? Because uh my wife and her aunt and my son are actually there as we speak. Did you know they I was going to give her a listener shout-out? I did, yeah. Okay. All right. I, I'm Literally, my wife just texted me saying, hey, do we need anything from, from my backyard uh, at Nectar's? Oh, and I was awesome. like, there anything we can't get from the nursery? And uh, and I said, I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what's there. But, um, but, yeah, they actually visited Bowman's Hill and walked around there. And then uh, it was, what was funny is um, is – my wife over dinner on Monday night was saying that her aunt had visited this new garden center and was 
took some pictures of the American Beauty's pots okay. and asked. I guess she was asking my wife if we knew anything about them. We're like, oh yeah, I know. I was, and then I was like, in fact, I probably know the person who sold them to her. <laughs> it's the the garden center. And then she was like, yeah, it's this new place called like My Backyard and Nectars. And I was like, oh, you know the owner. Yeah. <laughs> and and then we, yeah, we we started to talk a little bit. But they went to Bowman's Hill. Her aunt lives in that area. So, okay. Awesome. Um, so I guess they stopped there before heading home. That's that's uh, wonderful. So I we we were. Sh- Roz, all the best. And if you're a listener and you're in that area, check it out because I think you'll be happy. And she's she's making an effort. If you if there's something you want that you don't see, ask. And if she has access to it, she'll try to get it for you. So um, we have no questions this week. We have no Tom's Petty. No, that's what I'm going to complain. But we do have a Grow Read a Book that we saved from last time. Oh, we do, yeah. Grow Read a Book. All right, what do you got? So this is more out of pure fascination, this book. I can't this wait is, to hear has, about this. It had nothing to do with, with plants at all. <laughs> but it had to do with something that in, interacts with plants a lot, and that is is animals. Okay. And um, and mainly the, the first, the only, the real topic that tied in was the first topic I'm going to talk about. But anyway, the book was titled Some We Love, Some We Hate, and Some We Eat. It was by Hal Herzog, who's an anthrozoologist, Ooh. which studies the relationships between animals and humans. Okay. And it was just a really fascinating book um, because it dove into mindsets behind our interactions with or with animals as humans, our interactions with animals. And, um, and there was just like a lot of tidbits. I brought this up in our next episode, which we already recorded. We're in the, the time lapse again, or the, <laughs> the warp zone, yes. whatever you yeah. want to call it. Um, but... Like the history of dog ownership and how dogs were always like a utilitarian thing. I think that means that they were like had to be useful yeah. uh, is um, is how I I use the word. But uh, basically dogs were – they were used for hunting. They were used for uh, security. They, they had a purpose yeah. and they were not house dogs per se or pets. And that is like a really more modern concept. Um, that started in like the 1950s. So not even a hundred years ago, there you really didn't have dogs that lived inside as nothing but pets. No, and, and I told same you, thing with like, cats because I'm yeah. I'm older than you. As in the 70s, as a mm-hmm. kid growing up, I can only remember one family that had yeah. an indoor dog, and it was at like a toy poodle. And other than that, everyone had outdoor dogs that mm-hmm. were. That were chained to something. Yeah. Like, and that's something yeah. you don't see today. But they would be chained to a like I remember my neighbor had a pit bull that was chained to a doghouse that had probably had like a six foot chain, mm-hmm. you know, and it was never in the house. Uh, no one even petted it. It was a nasty yeah. dog, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, but there were there were other dogs like that on the street that were just outdoor dogs that mm-hmm. just, you know. Yeah, and this is – I said the first thing I was going to talk about and then I started talking about something else. But um, yeah, so that was like a newer concept. Just a lot of fascinating stuff in the book like that. Same thing with cats. Cats were there basically to catch mice. And um, but tying into cats, the book starts with the author getting a phone call from a, a colleague who was just started yelling at them over the phone because they had heard they were feeding kittens to his boa constrictor, and which is like a yeah, pretty shocking thing. Yeah, that think, is oh, pretty shocking. Kittens to a boa constrictor, but then which he wasn't doing, um, and corrected the colleague and said, "Oh, I'm not doing that." But then you start diving into that that thing that 
when I first heard it, and then when I told yeah. folks in the office, they're clearly um, distraught by yeah. that concept. When you really break it down, you have a pet boa constrictor, you have uh, these kittens which are being put down by the thousands yeah. in shelters because there isn't enough room for them. Cats are one of the most, or probably the most invasive species in in the world um, in many, many capacities and kill so many birds. And so it's like, well, we're we're getting rid of these kittens anyway. Why not use them for a pet boa yeah. constrictor? Is it better to just put them down and throw them out than have them be useful in some sense? Because um, to not kill them isn't an option because they're, they're destroying yeah. so much wildlife. And that's when I knew the book was going to be right up my alley <laughs> and, and make me think a lot about a lot of things. But, yeah, like that whole concept with dogs being pets and one of the lines um, that he he quotes, and I can't remember who he quoted, was uh, was talking about, like, clothing for dogs and, like, how – well, basically how dogs are yeah. expensive for dogs are out of control and how dogs are on antidepressants and anti-anxiety medicine and, and they're going to spas and they're getting all these crazy treatments. And it's like – and they have to eat the gourmet food. They can't just eat, the like, the regular food, which is even then we have special food for dogs and they used to just eat table scraps. Like, why is this – why have we gotten down this route? And it's like someone is making a lot of money here with the advertising that you need to do this stuff. And it's costing people like the, the rate that people spend on their pets is insane. But, um, the quote that I've alluded to was if you buy a $20 jacket for your dog to keep it warm in the winter, that's for the dog. If you buy a $200 jacket for the dog to keep it warm in the winter, that's for you. That's because you want it to look cool. Um, and it just reminded me of so many, People I know that just like go gaga over their dog. And I used to, growing up, we always had dogs and cats and all that stuff. But now, having not had one for a while, it, it allows me to take a step back and say, man, this is like a very interesting relationship that we have with our pets. I would love to have a dog. My wife's allergic. That's why we don't. We have two dogs, both of which have coats. Now they're chihuahuas. Yeah. So, you know, you, you can see, like, uh, it's but are they, they, they Gucci? Don't, are they Gucci? They're clothes? not. They're like they don't want to go outside in the winter, so yeah. that coat helps. Have you ever spent a hundred plus dollars a night for them to stay at a hotel? No, no. My <laughs> one people do. Like no, my one dog is on arthritis medicine. Yeah. So yeah. like it's which that's yeah, that that's makes a little okay. more sense. Yeah. Um, and like I think when it's your pet and it's part of your family, it does like it's a it's a much bigger decision. Yeah. Um, but they're actually he was. He was saying there's some folks that will credit the rise in uh, age at which uh, he, or people have their first children is higher, and there's some people who credit that to dog ownership oh. and how dogs are often treated like people's children when they're uh, dating or engaged and even newly married. That's their, their children, and maybe they're putting off um, having kids, and then what often happens is they have kids, and the dog kind of goes, yeah. takes a back seat at that point. Um, my first dog, which isn't necessarily right uh, for the dog. No, my first dog was very resentful when mm-hmm. we had because he was our baby, and then we yeah. had a real baby, yeah. you know. And it was, you know, he didn't take a back seat, but he didn't like not being the center of attention. Yeah, um, yeah. I had a friend, same thing, that had an Australian sheepdog that had to find a new owner because that dog became really resentful. When they had, oh yeah, when they had a child. Yeah, yeah. but in another concept, they were he was just breaking down some of the interactions people have with animals. Like, and again, going back to dogs, um, when dogs like 
nuzzle up on your legs, and it's kind of it's so nice. Oh, the dog is he likes me, and or she likes me, and like this is we're we're more than uh, owner and and pet. We're we're a family. Yeah. Like oh, that's a dog marking its territory. <laughs> they're they're rubbing <laughs> all his scent glands on you, so other dogs are like, oh no, that belongs to me. Yeah, and um, so yeah, there's just a lot of a lot of little interactions. There's another one. Um, he's going with dogs where like dogs, when they act all, um, uh, guilty when you like yell at them for something and they did an experiment with biscuits and they had a treat. And sometimes the researcher or basically the owner would tell the dog, don't eat the treat. Sometimes the researcher would feed the dog the treat. Sometimes they would take it away and then they would have the owner sometimes come in and say, Hey, the dog ate the treat after you told it and just like disobeyed you. And the owner would yell at the dog and the dog would cower and. But the dog would cower and act guilty whether they ate the treat or not. It wasn't that they ate yeah. the treat, that they, they were acting that way because the owner was yelling at them. So it was just to explain some of those interactions, which was just fascinating for my strange brain. Um, also, going back to snakes, it talks about, like, fear of snakes. And there's some – he's trying to go over, is it nature or nurture that makes us afraid of snakes? Because you have some areas of the world where people – are petrified of snakes. Like even more so than I'm thinking people in the U.S. are where it's, oh, you hear the snake within 10 miles and the whole tribe runs out there with shovels and, and axes and chops yeah. it up into little bits like because they don't want a snake anywhere near them. And then others who are just like walking up to snakes and they don't really care that they're there, they're like, that's a poisonous one. I'm going to steer clear. This one's fine. So I, yeah. I don't care if it's here. Um, it's probably a good thing because it's helping eat mice or, or do other stuff. Um there's a lot of like non conclusions in this book too. Yeah. So if you're looking for answers, this isn't the book for you. Uh, it's just pondering it. Yeah, more. yeah, yeah. There's the whole concept. He he has a whole long period where he's talking about um, chickens and cockfighting, and we like cockfighting is looked down on, uh, and it happens in the United States, yeah. especially in the spout- southeast, is what he's covering in this book. And when you get into Appalachia, it's like a big culture. It's kind of just overlooked because it's not really causing any harm. Um, but in other countries, it's it's a little bit more brutal. But uh, it's like, so, yeah, people will be really against cockfighting over while eating, like, their chicken breast for dinner. And the chickens in the cockfighting that are in cockfighting yeah. are treated like king animals for, until they die yeah. where the uh the ones on your table are all cramped up and cooped up and put in trucks so, with feathers I, blowing all over the place and it's I, like just so it's on your table I, all right. but um yeah it's just a lot of like these moral conundrums that we come across and um he talks about uh the whole concept of animal welfare in slaughterhouses is basically a a way for us to feel less guilty about eating more meat um and presents that argument it's like, oh, we only care. Well, we didn't care when, when we weren't eating as much meat. It's like now that we're eating, like the population of the country is eating so much meat. It's like, well, we want to make sure that they had a nice life while they were alive before we, we killed them and ate them. Um, and then another conundrum they had was like the the argument between is the number of lives worth more, or is it the type of life that's worth more? And talks about like. Okay, would you, I don't know what the actual ratio would for meals, but how many chickens would it take to feed as many people as one whale could? But it's like, we would never kill the whale, but we're okay killing all these, like, millions of chickens or, or 
thousands of chickens yeah. to make up the difference. Um, just like, yeah, like I said, all these moral conundrums. And I related a lot of this as I was reading to other things. Um, as I'm listening to all this stuff, it's like, well, yeah, we think about this all the time with, well, we just kind of had a discussion like this about with wild areas. Is it worth sacrificing some wild areas so that we can conserve the rest and, and have them for generations to come or she preserve it all and hope people care about it, uh, going on. And there is no definitive answer. And that's one of the things I really liked about this book is it's, I'm because sure 10 people could read it and we would all have different conclusions on I, what direction we should go. I was going to say because you could probably poll 20 people and get different answers yeah. of what they think is right and what is wrong. And it's a very sensitive topic yeah. I'm sure to many. There's there's many animal right activists oh, that yeah. I, I'm sure would look at this or or someone who's mm-hmm. vegan and, and have one perspective and yeah. someone have a different perspective. And we're not – we're not saying once right, one yeah. or wrong. Yeah. You're just presenting what's in the. Yeah, the book. They, they has a whole uh, other chapters on um, animal testing, and how well we we're testing on so much on mice, whether it's cosmetics or, or medicines, all this stuff on mice because they share so much DNA with with humans, and like what is what number of mice is better than testing on on actual humans? Like we have. Um, every year there's people who are born that don't have a, a positive prognosis on how long they'll live. And is it worthwhile to test on those individuals? Because it's only going to be one person versus hundreds, if not thousands of mice, um, that they, it was, they weren't going to live a long product. Usually it's like they're looking at weeks at best. Um, uh, death row inmates. They're, we're, we're, they're, they're getting the the electric chair soon anyway, or inject lethal injection anyway. Does, should we should we test on those people instead of mice? Is it the number of lives, or is it the quality? Or I don't want to say quality, but like the who the, whose life it is worth more. There's a lot of these moral conundrums, and then the last one was um, also in regards to animal testing. Is you have a lot of like terroristic activity over some of these animal testing labs, whether it's with chimpanzees or other stuff, and where they're resorting to killing test subjects through through bombings and all this stuff to kind of protest that it's happening, uh, to all the way up to people where they're actually bombing people's vehicles um, and, and hoping the person gets in them when it happens um, so that the testing on animals will stop. And it's like, well, what makes the, the test subjects' lives more valuable than the, the human life. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's a very fascinating book. If you're anything like me, I'd recommend listening to it, even though it's not about plants, because a lot of the, while the arguments in the book aren't about plants and, and habitats and all that, you can take a lot of those arguments and, or, and easily start to move them into this native plant world, even, even with cultivars and, and um, versus species plants. Yeah. And it's like, well, which one's better? I think there's, you're never going to have a definitive answer. Although yeah. I did get a message from Bill Stusnick with an article, and it was just too late for me to plug it in today, that uh, has some some PhD research that's being right. done on, uh, not not cultivars, but where uh, ecotype and how oh. much that matters. Okay. All right. You know, it's, it's, it's an interesting, it sounds like yeah. something I would read, you know, it's, can depend on your upbringing. Like I can't imagine ever oh, yeah. attending or taking part in a cockfight. Like I can't. Oh, yeah. Like to me, yeah. it's just like, ugh. Yeah. But 
culturally for a lot of people, that's that's how they were yeah. raised or brought up. Not saying that it's right that they do it or not. Just saying it was, you know, like I can't see doing that on my first date with my wife. Like she discussed growing up on a farm and knowing how to slaughter a pig, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. it's like, and that was survival. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just a different. Not that I could ever see myself doing that, but I eat mm-hmm. all the byproducts of pig. Oh yeah. yeah. So it's, I don't know. There, there's so much it, to think about. Yeah. Of, and I don't think there are answers. Probably the the what I should have included in this write up, and it's something we've even talked about on here before. And I'm trying to find the right guest. Uh, Alyssa Lewis had asked me to yeah. have a guest on on this topic, um, but the topic of uh, vegetarian diets versus uh, meat meat heavy diets, and um, and which is better for the environment. And I think one of the things he points out is that you don't have a bloodless meal. It's just the type of blood that's spilled. Yeah. And is it, same concept, is it better that you had one cow lost its life to feed X many people versus the, and this is where I can use millions definitively, the millions of insects and uh, small mammals and reptiles and all that that are going to be in a farm field. And then even more so, what's going to be displaced where agricultural systems can often interact with our native landscapes. Um, there's a lot of water that goes into cattle, but a lot of that's natural rainfall that was going to fall on the ground anyway. Um, does at what if you think they can interact with a native ecosystem where soybeans don't and, and corn does not? So if you think about a, a huge field of lettuce, how many yeah. people that lettuce will feed? Yeah. But the impact that that yeah. field has this agriculturally. This is what could have been there yeah. from a native ecosystem. Like what wildlife then, could it have supported? Yeah. What insects, how many insects were killed? Yeah, what was living in the ground? Yeah. What's getting sprayed? What's yeah. all this kind of stuff? It's just the, yeah, like it's not a bloodless meal. It's just what kind of blood are you spilling yeah. for, for each one? And now, I don't want to get too far down the rabbit hole. I do want to have an episode on this because there is some really cool, um, especially in the regenerative ranching space, where they're using native plants and then working a lot of times with cattle, like conventional cattle and chickens and all kinds of stuff um, and sheep and pigs and and goats. But they're also, a lot of these places are integrating bison in as well. So now you have uh, somewhat of a a native megafauna that's interacting with a native uh, landscape for, um, for meat production, which is I saw one when I was in Kentucky a couple months ago, and it's really cool when you think about that. When we're actually doing what was here uh, five hundred years ago, yeah, in a more modern way, where it's a, a commercialized and capitalist uh, enterprise. But um, yeah, I don't. I think we can all probably agree that our conventional um, meat system is probably yeah. not a sustainable route, but. You know, the hard part is, and we talk about this all the time, with even just being a nursery, a native oh, plant yeah. nursery, how scalable – like when you talk about how land was managed 300 years ago, mm-hmm. well, how many people were here compared to now? Like yeah. is it – are those practices yeah. scalable of what we dream about going back mm-hmm. to? And it's – you know, there's a lot more mouths to feed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's where we talk about <laughs> – you talk about all these – ethical conundrums it's like well 
if we wanted to have the right amount of native spaces, there probably shouldn't be as many mouths to feed as there are. But that's – I don't want to go there. No, either <laughs> do I. A, either do I. Why don't yeah, we end a, it on that? We'll, yeah. we'll end it on that. Yeah. So for uh, take it or leave it, I thought I would tie in a native plant every day mm-hmm. uh, because yeah. uh, what do we – I think at this point we'll have three weeks left uh, for the season. Um, but if you listen last week – into this week, there was a conversation about crickets that kind of happened over a four or five episode period. So I realized how little I knew about crickets because you think about them being in your house and like I don't want them in my house. So I started like are these crickets even native? And mm-hmm. so I did learn that most house crickets, what you would find in your house – are from Asia, but there are 20 native species of cricket to North America, and those crickets help break down dead leaves, other plant debris into gardeners' gold or, or humus, the dark organic matter and soil that contains many nutrients and improves soil health. Crickets manure, uh, cricket manure has an NPK nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium analysis of 432. It makes for a fantastic organic fertilizer. So if you you look at them in that respect. I'm wondering how many people see crickets in their house, get annoyed, or have gone through – like, let, come on, cave crickets. I don't know if cave oh, crickets yeah, are yeah. – that. that's something that makes my – I don't know. Like yeah, a phobia. A, it's like a phobia a almost. Huge, huge fan of the cave crickets because they just look creepy. And I guess we're – going back to the book, we were – why do we think cave crickets are creepy? But yeah. but normal crickets are in, in movies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I don't know what that answer is. So, yeah. But I wanted to throw that out there, knowing that there's 20 native species. Are you pro-cricket? Or, oh, yeah. yeah. I okay. think you have to be, um, especially native pro-cricket. I guess I would liken it to the the uh, the praying mantis argument. I am pro-native mantis. I am anti-foreign <laughs> mantis. That's... <laughs> European mantises and Chinese mantises. I just saw I saw an egg mass um, in my garden at home of a, a Chinese mantis egg mass, and I smushed it. Uh, well, I, there's an egg mass right on the garden, yeah. right out Ooh. here, and I don't I'm know. Go check it I out. I don't know native. Is it round or is it like straight? I think it's round. Smushing it. It's. I'm I think it's on the the chokeberry. Yeah, alongside yeah. of the building. I found it. Carolina, I think it's a Carolina mantis egg mass in um in one of our greenhouses on a, a oak, I think. Okay. And not even like it was an oak tubing, so really right. small. Wow. And it was just it was just barely on there. And um I did a whole video about it, but then I never posted it because I'm like I don't know enough about these to the European egg masses and the the um Carolina egg masses and some of the other native yeah. ones. Are very similar. The Chinese ones are very different. It looks yeah. like a little mini hornet's nest in a sense. It's it's round. Yeah, I think and that's what like, that is. Yeah, it's kind of smushy. Where the honestly the um, the Carolina ones from a picture when you see them in person, uh, they don't quite look like this. But they're more. They're not purely rectangular. They're like if you had a, a shoe box, and okay. you had. Something you put a little bit too much p- tissue paper, and it's like so it's rectangular, okay. but it just kind of bowed out a little bit yeah. on the sides. Um, but the bottom is still straight, and the top is still okay. straight. Um, yeah, they just kind of curve a little bit on the sides, but they're pretty much rectangular, and then they have like a little ribbing. In okay, them all right, is the best way. Um, 
But yeah, I know the the Chinese mantises and the European mantises, they'll eat anything. It's like they'll they'll eat hummingbirds, they'll eat all kinds of stuff. Where the Carolina ones are a little bit more discriminant, I okay. guess is the they're smaller yeah. too, from what I remember. Um, but again, I'm no, I'm no mantis expert. Uh-huh. It's another one of those things. It's like you could go forever on this, and then it's like at some point, you just want to throw your hands up and say, "I wish I didn't know these things." Yeah, <laughs> I know. I wish I just would. Oh, I knew that praying mantises were were good, like I like, did when I was a kid. Like, here's what I I wonder: when you think of, like, at one point, my children had a Chinese water dragon mm-hmm. that got fed crickets. I don't know if the, I'm assuming those were probably Asian crickets. Considering yeah. that it was a Chinese water dragon, so and I, I believe didn't you look look up that that's how like kind of the Asian cricket took off? Was it through? I don't through remember feeding. Yeah, through, I might have said that through yeah. food source. I can't remember, but you know, it's I, I wish I didn't know too. But it's interesting to know. I just assumed that crickets were not native. I didn't realize there were twenty native species in North America and what they provided. Yeah. So I guess I guess you have to be pro native cricket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm definitely pro native cricket. And then um, I know my my sister in law um, was using a cricket protein powder. Really? So yeah. interesting. Yeah. Have you ever eaten a cricket? Oh yeah, I remember. It, Didn't um, your brother have chocolate covered crickets? Or did I don't he remember have cricket? that. He had crickets of some sort. I'm trying to re- yeah. think if I ate one. I don't think I did. I remember at uh, Rutgers, now it's Rutgers Day. They used to have Ag Field Day, and we would uh, definitely try the child labor laws. Um, <laughs> <laughs> with my parents up there, my parents would go and sell a lot of, like, blueberry bushes and, and more fruit species yeah. as a way to give back. And um, and then, but they had, like, a, I think it was Rutgers Entomology Lab, had a little tent, and it was, like, you could eat different insects there. And they had, like, a little mealyworms and crickets and yeah, I've tried them, and it's weird when you're not used to it. But yeah. it's like that's normal in a lot of places yeah. in the world. Um, yeah, yeah, I, it's. Uh, it sounds like it a all, fear factor. It episode. all relates back to the book. It's yeah. Like <laughs> it, it really does. I, my entire life, the last three weeks have been relating yeah. back to this book, well, and I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, we don't like this, but why don't we like this? Yeah. <laughs> maybe we should like this, and maybe maybe we shouldn't like this. <laughs> it's. It's, like uh, what if what if all of a sudden it were to be exposed that butterflies tasted like candy? Oh man. Like think about yeah. that. Like what if all of a sudden butterflies oh it's it's yeah. all the nutrients you could need for for a week yeah. if you ate like two butterflies. And the monarchs were tasted like sour orange. Yeah. Or sour <laughs> yeah. or, sour sour blood orange flavor. Oh, like man. think about that conundrum, yeah. like, oh, but they're so tasty. Yeah. Like, they'd be they'd be saved because they'd be raised as a delicacy. That's, and that is one of the there things. There would be huge yeah. monarch farms to make yeah, sure that they people would not. But would they be migrating like they they would no. and all that? I don't know. Oh, they'd have they'd have monarchs that that could get five foot tall. Yeah, <laughs> you, yeah. you know they're they're the size monarchs of that tasted like condors. Doritos. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. But oh, yeah. Who knew we were going to talk about that? Uh, uh, Fran and I are not impaired at all <laughs> while doing this podcast. This is just, hey, this is what happens when you really start to dive into your brain and yeah, and, and think right. about wacky things. Why don't Why don't we end it on that? Yeah, that's probably a good spot. <laughs> oh, let me pull up my script. I was looking. I was looking up. Uh, what was I looking up? Oh, praying mantis uh, egg masses. Um, 
<laughs> All right. Well, thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed listening to the buzz. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Native Plants Healthy Planet presented by Pylons Nursery. Thank you, RJ Comer, for our buzz theme music. Make sure you stream or buy RJ's music uh, wherever you consume your music. Check out his Americana playlist on Pandora. You'll appreciate them. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Pineland Nursery, Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ, Instagram at Pinelands Nursery, and also YouTube at Pinelands Nursery. You can also uh, check out our our uh, Instagram Native Plants underscore Healthy Planet. Don't forget about the question and comment line. You can call us at two one five three four six six one eight nine. I will repeat two one five. Three four six six one eight nine. Ask a question or leave a comment. We'll do our best to play it on a future episode of the Buzz. And the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group is growing and growing and growing. Just keep approving more members, and the conversations have been really good. And we appreciate all the feedback mm-hmm. on a native plant every day too, and all the people that are telling us if they got the plant right and their conversations. I'm enjoying. I'm enjoying watching everyone else enjoy it. Yeah. No. It's a. It's. It is fun seeing how many people enjoy that that media that one this is native plants healthy planet is i don't want to say difficult to make it is hard to find the time to do it yeah but it's um but it's fun that it kind of it's kind of can be a reprieve from the day yes, to come and do this it's like uh, when i'm when i'm putting all my stuff in the document that we use as our script i'm like man when the heck am i gonna have time to actually do this today but when we do it it's like kind of like a like man, Take I'm glad we're off yeah, things, yeah. Um, and has a different kind of conversation than, than we normally yeah, get to have. It's the same thing. Like native plant every day. The research to do each show is a lot. Like Christiane yeah. had spent yeah. a, a good portion of time putting yeah. those facts together for us. And I'm going to be sad when season two is over because I've really enjoyed season two. Mm-hmm. I'm also going to be happy when we're done recording because we're so busy right now. Yeah, doing both is really mm-hmm. really difficult. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, that's what I was getting at is Native Plant Every Day is a lot of work and not for me. It's more for Christiane and, and you, friend. Yes. Um, but even the little bit that I'm involved with is still it's, – It's intense. Just finding the time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so you can buy Native Plants Healthy Planet merch at uh, www.nativeplantshealthyplant.com. We got all kinds of stuff there. And uh, and no, Santino, I did not send my check – or my, my check – our check with my <laughs> wife. I did not send my check with my wife. <laughs> um, to you, we we have to do it in person. So tell us how jury duty went, and uh, and we'll see you soon. Um, he actually reached out today. I'll talk to you. Good, about good. It. So yeah, we take the the uh, dollars that we raise, uh, the profits basically from those t shirts, and we give them to organizations that we think are doing the right thing when it comes to native plants. Um, I wish we could help everybody, but we can't. We can only do little small doses unless we get a big sale on T-shirts. And uh, so do your part and, yes. and help us help all these folks. Exactly. Um, and then also you can listen to our podcast at that same website. But you're probably going to listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, really wherever you consume your podcast. Uh, do us a favor. If you leave a five-star review, that goes a long way into boosting us up the charts. And boosting up the charts means that more people are going to be exposed to uh, to us. I saw we were all the way up to like 150 on the the Apple Science charts, yeah, which is uh, that's about the highest we've cool. gotten, I think, on it's Apple Science. Ali like, Ward, here we come. <laughs> we're we're <laughs> hot on your tails, yeah. <laughs> um, we're on your heels, and then, um, and then if you hit subscribe, that goes a long way. So that's why I always advocate: go take your friends' phones and hit subscribe on this. Um, that also helps us boost those charts, and then you're just gonna have more people that are gonna be listening to this and learning about native plants, and then two, you're gonna have more friends that 
know what's going on in the native plant world that you can converse about these topics and say, hey, Tom's a real idiot for his take on pet dogs. And, <laughs> and you can cat. commiserate on that. Yeah. Remember cat, when that, you first shared your, your feelings Tom on cat and, yeah. and like you didn't know how it was going to – it was a, it was amazing how many people agreed. I don't know if – yeah, I don't think we got anyone who disagreed. No. I think it's – it's again, one of those things like, oh, I like cats, but I understand how bad they are. But you didn't approach um, it that I just don't like cats and no, you should yeah. kill that. That yeah. wasn't – it was just like this is the issue that cats yeah. pose and that's why I'm not a huge fan. Yeah. So um, – and then, again, if you really do a little write-up with that five-star review, not only does I think it help us more, but also gives us good, good feedback, which helps us get make a better product. And then, too, you get a shout-out. So it's not like yeah. you're doing this for, for free. You get the – Feel good when you, the world hears about. <laughs> here's your your little pseudonym for uh, for your name. <laughs> How you confusing it is <laughs> for me to say. So, um, yeah. So with that, uh, do you have a secret? Friend? I don't. Did you share what your son said about the name? I said the yeah. I said you the did real share name, that one, but I didn't say. Yeah, he kept saying to the the kid Jack. He's like, "What's your real name?" We found out later because he did it to my wife, and then he did it to um, he did it to me when I was pretending to be an astronaut. I had a little astronaut balloon at my uh-huh. friend's son's birthday. It was a space yeah. theme, and it was an astronaut balloon. And he's con- he's my son is talking to the astronaut, and he's like, "Oh, what's your name?" And I was like, "I'm astronaut John." <laughs> and he's like, "What's your real name?" <laughs> so, Ast- I'm astronaut John. Well, my wife clued me in yeah. when he said that. He means what's your full name? Gotcha. Which uh, I'd use John Glenn because I astronaut John was off? not going to be Glenn. At the, no, like, he, he didn't believe me. Uh, <laughs> that's two first names. Yeah. But um, no, that's what he was doing with with, uh, with my wife. I don't know if I told the kinetic sand uh, story though. No. Where yeah, did I tell you the kinetic sand yes. story? Okay. Yes. Yeah. He he. By the way, many real, children. Real quick, I yeah. have John Glenn's autograph. Do you really? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. Who knew? Uh, ran into yeah. him at a gas station. Is this some kind of joke? No, <laughs> seriously. Ran- how did you know? It was I John think Glenn? it's on a credit card slip. Okay, from the gas station back before. Yeah. you actually like when they had to like run it yeah, through yeah, the yeah. thing. Uh, my dad, my dad was like, "That's astronaut John Glenn." We got is John Glenn here. from around here? No, he's still alive, right? He's uh, the, is he the one who punched the guy who thought they faked the moon landing? I'm pretty sure he is. That could be our secret for everyone uh, if it's true. Uh, John Glenn punches man. Uh, he died in 2016. Yeah, yeah. John Glenn punched the moon landing the night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was pretty crazy. Right. Um, yeah, but no, he he was born in Ohio. But yeah, yeah no, I I have his autograph. Yeah, interesting. Anyway, my son was watching TV and there was an advertisement for kinetic sand, which I remember seeing that from when I was a kid. And um, and he misunderstood that the word was kin- kinetic and not kinesic. And he called my wife in really excited. And he's like, it's kinesic sand. That's my sand. That's your sand. Kinesic sand. <laughs> Which, uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty funny. I love that. But, all right. Well, thank you, everyone. I'm Tom. And I am Fran. Thank you again, everyone. Coming up next week, we have a fantastic episode. We've already recorded it about HOAs and uh, lawns and Make sure you tune in for that one. Until then, keep it native.
Thank you for listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planted Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.